Chapter Five of the Girls of Gardenville by Carol Watson Rankin. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: Marjorie Danvers, Fireman. One. Marjorie Danvers, whose specialty, when she became sufficiently grown up to belong to the Sweet Sixteen and to have a specialty, was peanut taffy, is the heroine of this story. But long before she was sixteen, and therefore eligible to the S.S., Marjorie had an adventure, and indirectly it was connected with the making of peanut taffy. Marjorie was perfectly delighted when she learned that her family had decided to move. In the first place, she had always wanted to move, if only for the excitement of moving. In the second, she had lived so far away from all her little friends that in order to get home before dark, all her playtime days had, of necessity, been abbreviated. Everybody else, it seemed to Marjorie, had half an hour longer at each end of the day to play in, because it didn't take so much of their precious time to go home and to get away from home. But all of poor Marjorie's days were very greatly curtailed. But now everything was to be changed, for Marjorie was to move into the very neighborhood she herself would have selected had the choice of all neighborhoods been left to her. The Margraves, the Flanders, the Dillmans, the Stones, the Mercers, and several other girl-containing families lived within a very few blocks of the very spot Mr. Danvers had selected, and Marjorie was in such a hurry to move that she could hardly wait for things to be properly packed. Oh, she cried, just think how lovely it will be to stay out of doors with the other girls right up to the very edge of the dark. I've always been the last to get to things and the first to get away. Now it's going to be just the other way around. Beyond a doubt, the property bought by Mr. Danvers had been a marvelous bargain. The land alone was worth almost double the moderate price asked for the house and lot together, with carpets and fixtures thrown in. The former owner had had greater interests in another part of the world, and having found himself unable to live in two places at once, had wisely decided to convert the superfluous house into cash. These circumstances made it possible for Mr. Danvers to buy it for a ridiculously small sum, and he felt that he, as well as Marjorie, was to be congratulated. But although good Mr. Danvers was jubilant over the purchase, and Marjorie was so delighted that she almost hopped out of her skin, Mrs. Danvers, on her first visit to inspect the new house, sat down upon the thrown-in carpet and burst into tears. Yes, the moment she beheld the parlor wallpaper, she forgot that the house was a bargain, that the neighborhood was the very pleasantest in all Gardenville, and that the persons she loved best in the world were almost too happy to breathe, and gave herself up to grief. That paper was really enough to make one oblivious of other things. Mrs. Danvers was a dear little pink-and-white woman who thought little pink-and-white thoughts, and who loved little pink-and-white rooms. The late occupant of the house had been a big red-and-yellow man who liked big red-and-yellow rooms, and his taste in red-and-yellow wallpaper was certainly deplorable. There was only one thing in the house that was worse than the paper, and that was the carpet that went with it, and yet didn't. "'What? Don't like the paper?' exclaimed astonished Mr. Danvers, who was neither an artistic nor a pink-and-white person. "'Why, that's a splendid paper!' It must have cost all of three dollars a roll. Patterns a trifle large, perhaps, and the colors a little gray. But just think how it'll wear. It'll last a lifetime. But strange to say, this consoling information only made Mrs. Danvers weep the more. 
there's great stuff in that carpet too said kind-hearted but obtuse mr danvers eyeing it approvingly it'll wear like iron in spite of the children running over it those big magenta roses stand out well don't they mrs danvers shuddered the roses certainly did stand out the carpet was simply a calamity reasonable as the price had been it had taken all mr danvers could spare to make the purchase so there was no money to be foolishly wasted in replacing the perfectly good paper and unworn carpet. Even Mrs. Danvers realized that this was so. The poor woman, covering as much of the ugliness as she could with pictures and furniture, wisely made the best of it. But all her daydreams for the next few years centered about the repapering and recarpeting of the disfigured parlor. Gentle little Marjorie understood and sympathized with her mother, and together they would deplore the durability of the obnoxious paper and carpet. "'It would be such a pretty room,' Mrs. Danvers would mourn, "'if only something would happen to those outrageous walls and that horrible floor.' "'Yes,' Marjorie would reply. "'When any of the girls want to say that anything is big and gorgeous, "'they liken it to the figures in that gaudy paper. "'I'm not surprised.' I don't suppose I shall ever learn to walk over that carpet without involuntarily lifting my feet, for fear I'll stumble over those gigantic roses. Wouldn't it be glorious, Marjorie would say on other occasions, if our chimney should be struck by lightning as the Stoneses did? The paper was torn off the dining-room wall, and soot from the chimney simply ruined all the rugs. The Stones seem to have all the good luck. Or the Denhams, little Mrs. Danvers would reply. When their pipes froze up and burst last winter, nearly everything in their parlor was ruined, and now they have the loveliest new things. Yes, the loveliest new things, Marjorie would echo enviously. And the Mercers, her little pink-and-white mother would add, you know their sitting-room lamp exploded last fall, set everything on fire, and now their refurnished sitting-room is the very prettiest in Gardenville. "'Oh, why?' mourned Marjorie. "'Does nothing ever happen to us?' But the Stones, the Denhams, and the Mercers selfishly retained their monopoly of the lightning, the leaking pipes, and the misbehaving lamps, and the Danvers' hated paper and carpet continued to bear a charmed life. Very young visitors were encouraged to come often, and on birthday party occasions the parlor was fairly thrust upon small guests, who wondered secretly at the surprising recklessness of Mrs. Danvers' In their own homes, the parlor was not to be so lightly approached. No warning voice was ever raised when the rather spoiled little Danverses approached the parlor wall with sticky fingers, or threatened the parlor carpet with carelessly handled ink, but all to no purpose. Although both Mrs. Danvers and Marjorie fairly courted disaster, none came. At last, however, when Marjorie was fifteen, both paper and carpet began to show unmistakable signs of wear. Even easily satisfied Mr. Danvers could see that both were really becoming shabby and faded. "'Do anything you like about it. It's your house,' said Mr. Danvers, when Mrs. Danvers hopefully pointed out the defects. "'Yes, get anything you like. All paper looks alike to me.' "'And I think,' pursued encouraged Mrs. Danvers, calling attention to a carpet rose that had at last certainly withered on its stem, "'that I'd like to have hardwood floors.' "'Hardwood, too?' "'Yes, I don't mind. Certainly you shall have hardwood floors if you want them. Still, I am just a little disappointed in that carpet. I thought it would last forever.' "'So did I,' said Mrs. Danvers with a shudder. 
So did I, echoed Marjorie. But if either shared Mr. Danvers's disappointment in the carpet, the emotion was well concealed. Then came delightful weeks. The house was all torn up and turned over to the carpenters and paper hangers. Mrs. Danvers and Marjorie spent all their days and part of their nights studying samples of wallpaper, looking at rugs, and talking about curtains. Mr. Danvers spent all his in trying to dodge the pails of paste and buckets of varnish that seemed to lurk in every corner. At last it was all finished to the complete satisfaction of Mrs. Danvers and Marjorie, who suddenly ceased to covet the stones' share of devastating lightning, the denim's portion of bursting pipes, and the mercer's allotment of exploding lamps. Indeed, the renovated parlor became the object of Mrs. Danvers' tenderest solicitude, and the astonished little Danvers began to see imaginary keep-off-the-grass signs on every side. And then, when it was no longer wanted, the disaster came. 2. Just a week after the departure of the last workman, Mrs. Danvers went with her husband, who thought that she needed a little recreation after the labor of settling the house, to a concert, leaving Marjorie in charge of the sleeping children. It was not an unusual happening for Marjorie to be left with the care of the family. She was entirely trustworthy, and indeed, in many ways, seemed almost older than her pretty little pink-and-white mother. Although she was able to appreciate things from Mrs. Danvers' viewpoint, she was, nevertheless, not a little like her more particular father, and this combination of virtues made the girl a most useful young person for her years. Without her, life for Mrs. Danvers would certainly have been much more difficult. That evening, which was to prove an eventful one, Marjorie began most happily by making a batch of peanut taffy. This operation lasted almost an hour, by which time the younger children were sound asleep. When at last Marjorie returned to the front of the house, she was greeted by an odd, pungent, and decidedly noticeable odor. "'I wonder,' said she, "'if I could have scorched my candy.' No, the smell seems to come from the front hall. Perhaps something is burning upstairs. She stopped appalled when she had reached the top stair, and her heart leaped into her throat. Something certainly was burning. The whole upper hall was full of thick, terrifying gray smoke. It was like no smoke that Marjorie had previously encountered, and it turned her cold with fear. The children, gasped Marjorie, starting through the smoke and into the nursery. Here the smoke was dense, and through it, at the far end of the room, where a closet door stood open, Marjorie could see a dull red glow. "'Quick, quick!' she sobbed, shaking the heavy, half-stupefied children, who had instinctively covered their heads with the bedclothes. "'Wake up, Bob! Wake up, Bessie!' Neither Bob nor Bessie stirred. Marjorie, summoning all her strength, dragged them bodily out of bed, out of the suffocating room, through the hall, into the top of the stairs, where the atmosphere was less stifling. "'Oh, do wake up!' she cried, shaking them again. "'The house is all on fire!' Bob coughed, and Bessie began to cry in a choked, sputtering way. Marjorie seized an arm of each prostrate child and dragged the heavy babies, bumping as they went down the stairs." "'There!' cried she, snatching a vase of flowers from a table in the lower hall, and dashing tulips, water, and all into the faces of the poor astonished children. "'Perhaps that'll wake you up.' It did. It produced two prolonged, unmistakably healthy howls. 
"Well," gasped Marjory, thankfully, "your lungs are all right if you can howl like that. Now go sit on the carriage block and don't you dare to come into this house again until I call you. And don't you tell a soul that this house is afire. I'm going to put it out myself." The children, now at least three quarters awake, obeyed unquestioningly. They toddled out to the horse block and sat down. "Oh, I must, I must do it myself!" cried Marjory, seizing the two heavy pails of water that Mrs. Danvers always kept ready in her little conservatory for the purpose of watering her plants. "The fire is all in that one room, that one small closet. If I let the firemen in, they'll ruin the new floors with their muddy boots, and they'll flood the whole house with water. Oh, I can't let them spoil the lovely pale green paper and those beautiful floors when Mother loves them so. I must put it out." So never realizing that her mother would rather lose a thousand beautiful parlors than one little self-sacrificing daughter, Marjorie rushed into the dense smoke and hurled the contents of her pails straight at the scarlet glow. The smoke, puffing out at her like a great gray monster trying to seize her, stung her throat and almost blinded her. But she groped her way from the room, felt her way across the hall, ran downstairs, and refilled her pails at the kitchen sink. The bathroom was nearer, but Marjorie remembered that the faucets there were small and realized that she would save time by going to the kitchen. "'Who'd ever think,' gasped Marjorie, "'that a pail of water could weigh so much?' She drank a little cold water, filled her lungs with fresh air at the open door, and tucked up her skirts. Short as they were, she couldn't risk stumbling. Then up she went with her heavy burden, not spilling a single drop on the precious floors. After the third journey, Marjorie noticed that the scarlet spot had diminished in size, although the smoke was quite as dense and, if anything, even more unpleasant. "'I must be careful not to put on a scrap more water than I need,' said the model fireman, toiling upstairs with her heavy pails. "'I mustn't spoil the dining-room ceiling. It's right under the fire.' The result of the next judiciously aimed pailful was distinctly encouraging. "'Why,' exclaimed Marjorie, "'I believe the fire is all in the pillows and bedding stored in that closet. "'It's the feathers that make that awful smoke. "'I'll open the window and throw the things out if I can.' "'And she did, but it was not a pleasant task. "'The smoldering quilts burst into flames as she pulled them apart, "'and the sparks burned her wrists and hands. "'She wore a woolen gown, or the damage to her small person "'might have been much more serious.' With the window open, however, it was possible to breathe, and when the reeking pillows had been added to the blazing pile below, the atmosphere was greatly improved, although still by no means enjoyable. As the family afterwards discovered, the fire had started from a few oiled rags used in polishing the hardwood floors, and tucked into the closet by a careless maid. How long they had been smoldering it was impossible to guess. The fire had burned almost through the baseboard, and would, in a few moments more, have eaten its way into the partitions, where it would have been beyond all control. Marjorie had undoubtedly saved the day in a great many dollars, although she had, without in the least realizing it, risked something far more precious. She had bathed her face and hands, had opened all the windows to let out the disagreeable odor of burned feathers, and was going downstairs well satisfied with her evening's work when her father and mother appeared at the front door. Perched on the newel post in the front hall, she told them all about the catastrophe. "'Where are the children?' was Mrs. Danvers' first question. "'Goodness!' gasped Marjorie. 
They must be outside on the stepping stone yet. I told them to stay there until I called them, and I never gave them a second thought. I do believe I must have been a little bit excited." And there on the stepping stone Mrs. Danvers found them, sound asleep in their little white night dresses, but none the worse for their unusual experience, for the night, fortunately, was warm. Mr. Danvers opened his mouth and closed it several times before he managed to find words to fit the occasion. When he finally succeeded, all he said was, "'Marjorie, you smelled just like a little dried herring.' But there was something besides smoke in his eyes, and Marjorie knew that she was being thanked from the very bottom of her father's tender heart. End of chapter 5